It was here for mayhem and murder, and it would get what it wanted in large doses. Oh yes, it bloody would. Tim Meyer, Kill Hill Carnage. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Devin. And today we're getting up at the crack of dawn and heading to the mess hall when we talk about summer camp horror. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash books in the freezer. Happy listening. I am so excited to talk about Summer Camp Horror. I feel like I've been pushing for this episode for forever. That's because you have. Um, before I was really even a host on the show, we talked about doing a Summer Camp Horror episode. I know, we would be planning out and I would be like, also when it starts to get warm, I think we should do a Summer Camp Horror episode. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. if I mentioned, but I definitely want to do a Summer Camp Horror episode. Mm-hmm. This is an idea that's been around longer than me. So it's only a matter of time. Oh, man. Like, what is your relationship to summer camp and pop culture? Because I felt like growing up, summer camp was like the, like part of like the American experience, you know? See, I'm not quite in the same mindset as you because um, not to give, not to uh, feed into the Canadian stereotype, but today we had a semi snowstorm. And so it's not really getting that warmer here yet. Oh, wow. I, I still got like a month or so left. So you're like not mentally ready to do this episode. You're like, I don't, like I had to shovel my car off today. Pretty much, yeah. It was snow all over the ground. Morning. That's crazy. But yeah, summer camp is kind of a, just a, a general staple, I guess, in a lot of people's uh, upbringing. For a lot of people, it's the first time they are on their own, quote unquote, you know, on their own, away from their parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I'm assuming that would be some of what your experiences were growing up. Yeah, I went with my church like every summer. I think from like eighth grade all the way up to twelfth grade. It was just like a one week thing with my church, just like going up to like a summer camp with other youth groups in the area, and it was just like just very much what you think of a summer camp experience, basically. Yeah. See, I never, I, I never really did that that I can recall, except for one weekend when I was like. 12 or 13 um other than that i've did day camps i've did sport camps computer camps but they were all like at the university staying in dorms and stuff like that in the middle of town i never done the uh go into the woods by the lake and stay in a cabin or a tent or anything i've camped Mm -hmm. but i've never gone to a summer camp in this kind of sense that's so cool though sort of somehow do you live in more of like a woodsy area yes okay like we lived like in the suburbs of southern california so we were like look at the forest that's a deer 
<laughs> yeah, no. Um, behind my home, it's uh, it's a dense forest. Like there used to be railroad tracks through there, but they they were taking it when I was a kid. So yeah, I I go out my back door and I'm in the middle of the woods. And if I go out the front door, I can see the bay that leads into the ocean. So like yeah, I was I grew up in a very rural center. There, there was pretty there was roughly I think thirty five hundred people in my community growing up. Oh man, I I feel like growing up too. There was a lot of summer camp just in like the regular pop culture that I consumed. Like one of my favorite movies growing up was The Parent Trap, and I will admit that to this day, if it is on streaming, I will stop whatever I am doing and watch it. And yes, the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, there is two, isn't there? Yeah. I only recognize the 1999 one or 1998. Actually, there's three. What? Because It Takes Two. Uh, it Takes Two with Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen is basically the Parent Trap. I love that movie so much, too. <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I wrong? Christy Alley and Steve Gutenberg. Uh, I guess technically, except in this case, one of them is an orphan. Yeah. Details, details. It's a Prince and a Popper story. Yeah, love it, love it. Oh, also growing up, there was Bug Juice on Disney Channel, which I firmly believe was my generation's introduction to reality television. So Bug Juice was intentionally written that way? I thought you meant Beetlejuice mm. when you said this. No, this was, I've, no, it's Bug <laughs> I've never heard of Bug Juice before. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was a reality show that followed like these kids at summer camp, and it was, you know, edited you know like a reality show like you follow different kids and and their bunks and their dramas and their experiences well there was also salute your shorts which like i remember watching but it was i feel like older for me at the time and i don't remember too much but like i was really young when that was on shoot was it disney channel or nickelodeon i don't even remember the only thing i could think of that i had that's comparable to this in if there's other Canadian listeners that might be able to back me up with this, is a show called Camp Caribou. And that was a sketch comedy show with these strange, strange hosts that takes place at a summer camp called Camp Caribou. I just watched the intro to that again right before we recorded this, and it's like a fever dream to me right now. (laughs) But I remember loving that as a kid. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it was everywhere. And then... I think later, like when I was more college age, I discovered like the the movie What Hot American Summer, and then like that recently had you know a show and a, a movie. Okay, I was gonna say that's the one that recently got the Netflix series, was it? Okay, I never did get to watch that, but I was supposed to. It's so funny because What Hot American Summer takes place on like the last day of camp, and then they recently did. Yeah, I think it was the series, and the series they're obviously much older but it's supposed to be a prequel (laughs) so it's just like so ridiculous (laughs) is it at least self-aware yes oh it is very okay (laughs) okay yeah i've heard good things about it oh man it's funny because it's all these people before they got big so it's like paul rudd and amy poehler and bradley cooper but it was like before they really were the the stars they are now (laughs) in this like little indie comedy movie (laughs) nice oh man but anyway talking about summer camp in horror why do you think it works so well okay well i mean it's like i alluded to earlier the the summer camp just the as a concept as as an ideal is 
usually children getting out away from their their parents or guardians um able to get their first taste of independence but at the same time looking at it from a horror perspective that also um releases them from the protection of said guardians and parental figures so they're they're independent and that's great but then they also realize they need to take care of themselves so they're more vulnerable in that sense um that's something that can be exploited pretty easily with uh with the horror genre i definitely think so yeah it answers that like what are we gonna do with the parents pretty much yeah it's also usually even if it's a camp that they've returned to before like more unfamiliar you kind of get out of the the safe space um kind of of feeling like of, of your home of your room of whatever you're in the wilderness now that's that's no longer your domain so again, it, that plays more into the fact that they would be uh, more vulnerable, more, more susceptible to you know fear of the unknown, things, things of that nature. So it really blends itself well to horror in that sense. I think so, and I think also when you're a camper in that environment, even though it's different and it's out of your comfort zone. Like if you know me at all, I am not an outdoorsy person in the least. No one would ever describe me that way. <laughs> um, but when you're there. There's something about the environment that just is wholesome and is considered safe. Like I remember just like walking back to my cabin at night in like the dark in this wooded area and really not thinking anything of it because it's like, hey, it's camp. Like what's going to happen? Well, yeah, yeah. No. That's, that's kind of where I was going with it is the fact that you, the kids, and again, it's not always kids, but I'm just going to use it as a catch-all term here. The the counselors and the participants in these summer camps, um, they go to these foreign and you know wild kind of areas under the guise of in complete control because the counselors are there for their safety um so the kids don't actually worry they're not afraid they're there for fun they're there for for good times when the horror kicks in dial gets turned up everything goes to hell it becomes so much more desperate because once that facade of the safety net is gone and they're left with just the wilderness and things out of their control, then that's when the tension, you know, can really ramp up fairly easily using this particular kind of setting. Definitely. And on top of that, it's usually secluded. I think that's usually kind of the point to go somewhere to get away from everything. So, Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. Um, a lot of these, it's a good excuse to not have cell phones. It's a good excuse to not have technology um, because these are meant to be, you know, learning to live off the land and roughing it and stuff like this. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a great way to to isolate the potential victims from, from safety. I think back to, like, the first point about it uh, being a place that younger kids or, like, teens can kind of get away from their parents and use this as a, a place to explore their independence, which, as we said, applies to both campers and counselors. So when you have that, I think it also results in uh, kids acting obnoxious and pushing boundaries and testing limits. I feel like there's a lot of that when you look at summer camp horror. Uh, wait, what do you mean? You know, like experimenting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certain behaviors. <laughs> yeah, when you take children or teens or dependents away from their parents or the people that is in charge of them the other 50 weeks of the year or however long the camp would be, um, yeah, that's when they, you get more of a heightened sense of who they are. They There's, there's less inhibitions, less boundaries, 
so you get to see the best of them and the worst of them get amplified. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, kids acting out, kids experimenting with certain things, um, giving in to things that they would not be able to do so if they were at home. Yes, I feel like there's a lot more uh, peer pressure, I think, becomes more consolidated. And I don't know about you, but basically every book that I read for the episode, I would say is a slasher story. Um, yes, that's a very, very com- common thing. If you if you look up, just try and find summer camp horror, it'll generally bring you to a bunch of the top 10 best slasher novels and stuff like this. Um, but there are so many other things you can do with that. Um, one of mine is actually not a slasher. Ooh. Ooh, I'm excited. Sorry, that was like a very big overreaction. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to be a Stephanie book, but it's, it's definitely not a slasher. One of mine. Um, the other one, actually, it is. But again, it's this week I've tried to find books that kind of subvert the trope a little bit. Because generally, I think as I approach books in the freezer as a way to try and, you know, inform and educate on certain subgenres, I sometimes try to go with derivative works to get people, you know, their introduction to it. But with summer camp horror, people are so aware of this kind of thing that, as you said, the mind immediately goes to slasher. They think Friday the 13th, uh, they think sleepaway camp, they think kids in the woods being hunted by this person that wants to kill them kind of thing. So I try to veer at least a little bit away from that in my picks this week, but, um, but it is certainly the most prominent story that I can tell two out of three of my books kind of deal with a massacre that took place at the camp and so the lore kind of surrounding the camp like ooh, 20 years ago something happened here um, and I would say like one of my books we start off in summer camp <laughs> yeah so, well that's that's the yeah, main like a thing. little different a lot of summer camp horror is slasher um, and the differentiation between them and usually the author's um, imprint on the story what what separates it from the others is the method of which the antagonist you know delivers his pain <laughs> or the origin of said antagonist those those are the two things that kind of um really give this kind of story its identity so like you have you have your Jason Voorhees, the kid that drowned in the in the lake and is coming back for revenge after counselors killed his mother. Um, you have Sleepaway Camp, which I don't care how old this story is, I do not want to spoil the ending of Sleepaway Camp because it's one of the best swerve endings in all of cinema. No, you can't. But you see the the motivations behind the killers, the the origin stories behind why they do what they do or how they do what they do. That's what makes each story unique mm-hmm. i do love sleepaway camp <laughs> i was not sold on sleepaway camp just as a premise but like i said in terms of the antagonist the the story of the antagonist can really sell this kind of story and dear god <laughs> this yes the the series maybe not so much but at least the original sleepaway camp is is to me a must-see as a horror film. I mean, it's a it's a little campy and everyone overacts in it, but that's definitely the charm. Oh my god, it's it's glorious overacting though. No, that wouldn't do. That wouldn't do at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like definitely what makes it good. And it didn't mention one of my favorite summer camp storylines is Wednesday's storyline at Adam's Family Values. Icon. See <laughs> 
You better not be getting ready to throw any Wednesday hate on here because I will not stand for this. I'm more of a Friday kind of person, just saying. Like Rebecca Black's Friday? Oh, no. That's horror. Okay. I'm scared now. <laughs> like Friday the 13th. Like, do you like Jason more than Friday? Like, you like Fridays more than Nightmare? <laughs> that's that's not fair. Don't ask me that. <laughs> um, I do really love Jason Voorhees. I love his story. I love him as a character. I love the evolution of his character. Um, coming from, you know, being the kid in the lake, being just a guy living in the woods, and then enacting his revenge, and then legitimately coming back from the dead and being the, you know, unstoppable beast that we know him as now. Um, the evolution of Jason is so much more coherent to me than, say, a Michael Myers um, or honestly, even a Freddy Krueger, like th- Freddy's lore is so odd and contradictory. And Jason, I just it, it's so well done. I, I, lo- I love Jason, but I'm sorry. As much as I adore Kane Hodder, um, nobody in horror is going to compete with Robert England with his with playing Freddy Krueger. Even if even if the lore is contradictory, I, I cannot supplant Freddy Krueger. Robert England's Freddy Krueger as like one of one of if not the greatest horror horror monsters out there with Jason being very close to that how how many of these series Here? had you seen Steph of Friday the 13th yeah um I've watched one two three four and then Manhattan Jason X oh god and no. Freddy versus Jason <laughs> Oh, why do you bring up Jason X again? <laughs> I had to. Why do I ask these questions? Um, <laughs> you asked how many in the series I had watched, so I figured that was that was fair under under the umbrella that was, of Jason Voorhees. Movies. That was totally on me. I, I I understand. I think with the Friday series. As repetitive as it was getting, I think when they got away from actually doing summer camp it got a little more far-fetched like in um in five i like manhattan manhattan was okay but it was on a boat so it was still you got that claustrophobic kind of isolated Mm -hmm. kind of feel so it was not a camp but it still kind of went to the same plot device um if you look at part five part five is tommy jarvis um being brought back to a like a halfway home that just happens to be close to crystal lake (laughs) Um, and it's that's where the killings are happening. Um, before that, it's a bunch of college kids renting. Oh, part four is with a bunch of college kids renting a home next to the Tommy Jarvis house with his family. That's the wait. Is that the Crispin Glover one? No, that's yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's Crispin Glover. Yes, because I watched them. I like marathoned them. I think like two years ago. So a lot of them run together for me. Yeah. Other than the first one, the first one is the only one I can like clearly remember. I would say like two, three, four for me. Four, five, and six is easy for me to remember because of Tommy Jarvis. Part four is where Tommy comes in, Corey Feldman, where he actually kills Jason Voorhees. Um, then part five is part five. Let's not, the less said about that, the better. Oh, God, so horrible. Um, and then part six is when Tommy Jarvis resurrects Jason and brings him to be in this monstrous zombie. Um, but I mean, like, okay, so we, we talk a lot about the antagonists, but... Sometimes it's actually just the locale itself 
like the the camp itself has its own history, its own um, foreboding presence. And I find in a lot of summer camp horror, even when it is a slasher, um, the camp itself plays as important a character as anyone else in the story. Oh, definitely. If one could say, it's almost like the camp is a character. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of what I'm referring to, yes. (laughs) I know you're trying to say it without saying it. (laughs) Pretty much. Oh, man. So do we want to talk about some books? (laughs) sure sounds like a swell idea what is this the 1950s golly gee i'll cut right on (laughs) are you really dissing me for the word swell yes (laughs) wow i feel like i'm really i'm really antagonistic this episode (laughs) steph is the Voorhees. so the first book i want to talk about is Kill River by Cameron Rubik. Uh, I think this has been mentioned in a previous episode. I think it was one of Rachel's picks, but I thought it was too perfect and just had to be mentioned again in this episode. So this follows a girl named Cindy. She's about 13 and her parents are forcing her to go to this summer camp. And she's not happy about it because she's on the older end of it. Like it's definitely more for like elementary aged kids and even though the camp like technically goes up to like the 13, 14 year old range, you know, she's out of place and does not want to be there. So she makes friends with a few other kids her age who are feeling similarly. And they decide one night to sneak out and steal one of the canoes and get out of there. They row down the river and they end up in an abandoned water park, which sounds very fun. But of course, since this is a slasher story, we know that there has to be a dark side to this. And there is a a foreboding presence at this park. And Cameron Rubik does a great job of making this setting that should be like this awesome thing really feel very creepy. And not just because there is a killer after them and the kids start disappearing one by one. Oh, and I know last week we talked about uh, Forgotten Island by David Sodergren, where I said, like, there's all these characters and you hate them so much that you want them to die. I would say this is the opposite, where you're like, no, not, no, leave him alone, no. <laughs> where you just really become endeared to these kids. And it's, and it might be because they're like 13. <laughs> so you're like, no, you're like a little too young. Like, if you were 15, I don't know how I would feel. But at 13, like, I care too much for you, baby. (laughs) So I would say, like, yeah, this was emotionally, like, I really, I think it does a great job of really getting these characters that you care about. And over the course of this book, you've seen them, like, go on this adventure and, like, all of this. And you you do find yourself getting attached to them. Um, I do have the sequel, which actually Rachel and I are going to buddy read sometime this week. And I'm really excited to revisit this story um so i would say this is as far as temperature rating i would say fridge there's some pretty good kills and cindy is a great protagonist you're just very emotionally invested in the story and i would say it gave me everything i wanted out of a slasher story so that is kill river by cameron rubik and i am going to pick one that also has a tie to rachel because this is an author that i found because of rachel talking about him on the podcast and this one is why did I say and? I don't know. Um, we're going to be talking about The Con Season by Adam Caesar. 
This one is the pick of mine that is a pseudo slasher story. Um, it invo- but it's not a traditional summer camp. Um, what it is, it follows this um, scream queen, uh, the uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, if you will, um, kind of actress named Clarissa Lee. And she has fallen on some bad financial times uh, when this opportunity arises from this mysterious person for her to come to a convention that's happening called Blood Camp Con. Um, It's a small, small con, brand new. And it's not just a convention, but like a complete, fully immersed recreation of like a, a summer camp. Kind of like a let's live a Friday the 13th experience kind of convention. Um, so the pay is really well. She agrees to it. Then she sets off for this con um, only to find out that there are nefarious um, intentions behind all of this. Um, as one can guess that maybe the fully immersive part of this may be a little too immersive quickly clarissa has to become the the final girl that she has played so many times in the films um in a real life situation i really like this it's to me it kind of felt and this may be a vague kind of analysis but to me it felt like a scream meets friday the 13th okay like it's a good solid friday the 13th like slasher kind of story however it's really aware of the horror genre because it involves a, a number of actors that are horror actors, um, and they use like jargon of the genre. Um, they make a lot of, of references. They they name drop Kane Hodder. They like it. It's this. This to me, in some part, feels like Adam uh, flexing his "I know a lot of horror" kind of muscle. In it, but it fits really well because these are people that are so obsessed with horror as a genre that they are um, coming together, and then this whole slasher experience is happening. They're not completely unlikable characters, but they are, but they are certainly flawed. Um, and yeah, it's just a really solid example of the kind of uh, horror that Caesar is capable of writing. Um, this is the second book I've read by him. And so far, he has not disappointed yet. So I would totally recommend this one. Uh, as far as temperature rating, there are there are chapters from the perspective of the antagonist sort of like setting things up. So there's not a lot of uh, suspense in what's happening, uh, at least early on. So I would probably say this is a, a, cold, a chilled room temperature, maybe. But uh, it's definitely a, definitely a good, solid... Um, piece to get your feet wet for a summer camp horror. that sounds so fun uh i heard um on the shockwaves podcast one of them was reading this book a while ago i'm kind of going through the back catalog and when they were talking about it i'm like that sounds like such a fun book and the way you described it right now definitely makes me want to read it when I say scream, it's because of the whole. It's somewhat self-aware and and meta to horror tropes and stuff, and they're called out for being horror tropes as well. But um, but yeah, it's 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 solid. Um, so yeah, that was uh, the con season by Adam Caesar. Well, my next pick is Kill Hill Carnage by Tim Meyer. 
Um, so at St. Christopher's Camp and in the 90s, there was a, a massacre there. And we do keep revisiting that throughout the story. But in present day, Frank Harmon is assigned with, quote unquote, tying up the loose ends uh, concerning what happened then. And that's actually how the present day storyline opens up is him like beating the crap out of somebody (laughs) and, uh, you know, making sure they don't talk permanently which was my totally my bag. But, you know, the person is like, there's so much you don't know. Like, what are they paying you? Uh, you know, like, there's there's a lot of stuff that you need to know. Like, they're not being fully honest with you. And he's like, I don't care. I just I just want my paycheck. This is just the job I have. I don't I don't care what you have to say. And we find out that maybe he should have listened to that guy. There is a lot going on. Uh, so around this same time, so we're following the Frank storyline. And then we have, of course, a group of young people who decide to go on a camping trip to get their mind off of things. And of course, for some reason, they decide that they want to check out this St. Christopher site where this massacre happened years ago. Of course, as you do. Throughout the story, we get little vignettes of um, what happened at the camp. And those are a lot of fun because those are just, you know, slasher kill scenes that are just set up and you know how they're going to end. And you are, I was anyway, like very excited. I'm like, oh, something's going to happen. And I just really enjoyed whenever we got to revisit that. Uh, I also just really liked the two storylines. Like there wasn't a storyline that I was like, ugh, this again. Um But I loved how they all came together. And one thing I really, really liked was the antagonist. I am not going to say really anything about it because I think you just need to read it and find out for yourself. But I thought it was very cool and very inventive and different uh, for what you usually get in slasher stories. I would put this in the fridge. Like I said, a lot of bloody kills, especially when we go back to what happened at the summer camp. Like it's not there's no like holding back like they're they're violent and brutal <laughs> kills um with like i said built intention like when the when the chapters start like when we go back to the camp you you know how this chapter is going to end and you know it's not going to end well so those are probably my favorite and for those scenes alone i would put it in the fridge although in present day we definitely do get some kills for sure so that is kill hill carnage by tim meyer all right so that's going to bring me to my second pick my second pick is the one I hinted at earlier. That is not a slasher story. I'm waiting. Yeah. Are you excited? Now, yeah. Let's hear it. Okay. So my second pick is The Wild Ones by Jack Hunt. This is the story of Scotty amongst the a whole ensemble cast of characters. And um, Scotty's summer is ruined because his parents want to go on a cruise. So they send him to survival camp. He doesn't want to go, but he uh, is unable to negotiate out of going. And it's not just any survival camp. It is zombie survival (laughs) camp. (laughs) I'm starting to lose her. Um, So, yeah, basically that's what this is. Uh, This kid, well, he's a teenager. He he ends up being coerced into going to this camp by his parents. It's a camp that his brother has gone to for many years. Um, And it is a survival camp that is marketed as a zombie survival camp uh, in terms of, you know, general survival tactics. 
Um, however, very, very quickly into the story, after after you get a few chapters of legitimately good survival things, like teaching them how to um, know which way is north by the position of the sun, by using like a bunch of sticks and like over a period of time, seeing which way it's moving. Um, stuff like this, really informative stuff. Um, after a few uh, few chapters of that, while well, he's at camp, and it's this is also told in the first person, and he is very visibly irritated by being here in the first place. Um, wouldn't you know it? But uh, there happens to be an outbreak, and it, then the uh, the tools of which they've been learning um, all of a sudden become very vital to their survival, and then you get to see characters who you know were very strong and authoritative how they react when they are actually faced with uh the zombie outbreak um it's not extremely gory but there's some some pretty decent um examples of uh viscera and and the like um and yeah like as with any other zombie novel like this what this is actually or what this actually becomes um it's it's about the the characters themselves and how they are coping with what's happening and i find that's what i enjoyed about this novel is that like i said it's the juxtaposition between all right you have the people that are in charge teaching these kids these survival tactics um and then when the actual outbreak happens who becomes the leaders who becomes the followers who keeps calm who loses their minds and so on and so forth. Um, with this one, the setting is pretty... Again, you get the isolation. Um, I, I would probably say this one is, is similar to uh, the con season in that it's it's a it's a cold-ish room temperature book or maybe, maybe a warm fridge book. I totally think you may enjoy this whether you like zombie fiction or not because of the dynamics with the characters. Because I know how much you love interesting character dynamics. So the characters, for their flaws, for their faults, are, are believable characters. So, yeah, it, it was a solid read. That sounds like it could be fun. It reminds me of the, I know, like the camp that the when we had the horror pod class guys on was a little more of like zombie pop culture stuff. But it definitely reminded me of that when you were talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, the, um, that did kind of come to mind as I was even reading this. Yeah, that was uh, the Wild Ones by Jack Hunt. Nice. This brings me to my final pick, which is Under the Blade by Matt Serafini. So this follows a final girl named Melanie Holden. She was the only one who escaped from a camp massacre perpetrated by Cyrus Holt 25 years ago. And that's actually how the book opens up is uh, with her being the last one alive at this camp and being hunted by Cyrus Holt. So it just it has a really great opening right away. Um, and But in the present, her teaching career has bottomed out. So she decides to spend the summer in Forest Grove, the town where the massacre happened uh, in an attempt to write a memoir about the events that happened. And so in the present day, we follow her uh, staying at like a bed and breakfast and kind of coming into this town where this traumatic thing happened to her and her really not getting a warm welcome from the people in the town because she's, you know, associated with the thing that, you know, kind of gave him some bad press. But weirdly, the town of Forest Grove went full like footloose. (laughs) 
and they have like strict morality laws since the event, you know, with the the thinking that if they could curb teens engaging in like risky behavior, uh, they could prevent something like this from happening again. Um, there's like a, a small plot line where there's a woman who like grew up there and now she's back because her husband uh, got a job on the police force and like she's trying to overturn these things. Um, and everyone keeps saying that Cyrus Holt is dead and all of this is in the past. But like Millie has a hard time believing this and like, there's something about it that doesn't seem right. And she's not fully convinced that he's really gone. And so she even goes as far as to think that there's people in the town that know more about this than they're letting on. So I really liked this. I would say this is a little bit more of a, a character study and kind of getting more into the darkness in this small town. Um, someone on Goodreads described it as Friday the 13th meets Sharp Objects, which I thought was really good because that's about someone, you know, going back to a small town where they had a traumatic thing happen and kind of their relationship to the town and their relationship to this trauma and the town's possible part in all of this. I would say it takes a great turn that I thought was a little unexpected um, and I really enjoyed it. As far as temperature ratings, I would say like there's different parts. Like I would say it opens up at freezer, but in the middle, there's a big chunk of the book of like Melanie kind of moving into this town and kind of having a lot of awkward interactions and but I would say at the end we definitely get get back into fridge territory uh and into good old slasher story so that is under the blade by Matt Serafini Friday the 13th meets sharp objects is there any wonder why you're recommending this book I, <laughs> I saw it and I'm like that is why I liked it you're absolutely right <laughs> <laughs> oh that sounds good all right you want to talk about some should we talk about our chilling obsessions? We totally should. So my chilling obsession is one of the Into the Dark movies. And if you don't know, Into the Dark is a thing that uh, Blumhouse is doing with Hulu where every month they release a, a horror film. They're about 90 minutes long. And since they're every month, they usually are related to the holiday that is that month. So they their first one was dropped on October, which was of course like a Halloween one, November, Thanksgiving. You get the idea. Um, I'm still kind of catching up on some of them, but I watched the one that came out for May, which was a related to Mother's Day, and that was All That We Destroy. I really enjoyed it. Um, this is a evil child story, so if that's a subgenre that you are into, and I am, I think you'll like it. So this I heard was kind of uh they talked about it on shockwaves and i think the director said she was kind of going for like norman bates and like almost we need to talk about kevin uh, i would say going into this it has the feel of a black mirror episode because it's in the near future and we are dealing with a a, a technology that we have and kind of the abuse of that technology for like a dark reason. And so in this story, uh, we have a geneticist who keeps cloning her son's first kill in the hopes that it keeps him satiated and he does not want to go and kill more women. So that I feel like is already saying a lot and I do not want to say like more than that. But um, oh man, like the... <sighs> Like the poster, I wanted to say like the thumbnail, like the movie poster is like a, a woman coming out of this black goo and 
you know, this is how like the clones are, I don't want to say like born, but how they're <laughs> activated, I guess. I don't know the, the terminology. Um, but when she gets like a new clone, you know, it's like the imagery of them like coming out of this black goo. And it is this, it is so sinister and dark. And I don't know, I, I really enjoyed it. So I would say if you have Hulu, and if you like stories about evil children, and you are a fan of Black Mirror, like if those three things apply to you, I would definitely check it out. So that is all that we destroy. This is the second one that's been a chilling obsession, right? Because I recall you talking about, a th- was it a Christmas one or was it the Halloween one? It was one? the Halloween one, and that was one I didn't like. <laughs> oh, that was a lukewarm letdown, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it? a lukewarm letdown. They have uh... been very hit or miss. <laughs> uh, so this is one that I enjoyed. I would say like this one and the Thanksgiving one. Yeah, I'm thinking I might like when I'm all done do like a blog post on the on the website ranking them and talking about them. Yeah. Do it. Totally. I want to see that. So yeah, that'll be coming out uh, in September (laughs) when they're all out. (laughs) All right. How about you? Mine is once again trying to stay on brand. Um, And I'm glad I thought about this. Because this is another film um, very similar to The Rise of Leslie Vernon in that it's got a massive cult following and the people that know it love it. There's a lot of horror fans that have probably never heard of it. Um, It is a film called Never Hike Alone. This is the story of a hiker. Actually, I'm just going to read it from IMDb for the synopsis because it's pretty self-explanatory. A hiker's survival skills are put to the test when he stumbles upon the remains of an old abandoned camp and discovers its long, dark secrets. That sounds fairly ominous by itself. Um, That is, you know, a regular slasher summer camp kind of story. But what that synopsis doesn't tell you is that that camp is Crystal Lake. This is a fan-made pseudo-sequel to the Friday the 13th series. Um, It even has a cameo from Tom Matthews, who played Tommy Jarvis in part six. It's really well, well done. Doesn't look like a fan film kind of feature that captures the essence of the Friday the 13th series so well. And very, very, very true to the spirit of the original Friday the 13th, which was done on a shoestring budget and made it crap ton of money um never hike alone again it's it is fan-made so it's it's a very low budget very low cast kind of film but it's so so solid like you would swear this was actual canon and it was part of it you could see the love they have for the series um by watching this film there's not much plot really to get into other than again this is basically a hiker that stumbles upon crystal lake and hilarity ensues from there if you are even a casual fan of friday the 13th even a passing fan um this is one you have no excuse not to check out and i think you really should um you can actually find this on youtube for free so it's very easy to find very accessible and like i said if friday the 13th is your thing then this is something you need to treat yourself to right on so that was never hike alone all right so let's get down to some housekeeping some or book club updates yeah we just finished reading the family plot by cherry priest that was a steph pick that live show was this past sunday which means it's time for us to look ahead to june so what's your pick for this month Devin? <laughs> june i get to pick 
Um, I am going to go with an author whom I've read only one title before, and I found it very lukewarm. <laughs> but he's been recommended to me so often that I've been dying to give him another chance at this and figured if I'm going to try it, you guys might as well try it. So my pick is No One Gets Out Alive by Adam Neville. Okay. Are you familiar with Adam Neville, Steph? I've read um, short stories of his in anthologies and really liked them. Um, I know Rachel's recommended The Ritual on a survival horror episode. And I know you read, was it House of Small Shadows? House of Small Shadows, yeah. That was, again, I like that one. It was good. It's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of dolls, a lot of um, interesting psychological things going on someone immortality it was it was an odd offering but no one gets it alive um came in afterwards and it's got general praises for those interested in the plot um no one gets it alive let's read this blurb for you guys darkness lives within Cast strapped, working for agencies, and living in shared accommodation, Stephanie Booth feels she can fall no further. Is it really about a Stephanie? It's about a Stephanie. I get, like, weirdly very excited. (laughs) (laughs) It's why I love Lady Gaga. (laughs) Oh, God. Go on. So, So when she takes a new room at the right price, she believes her luck has finally turned. But 82 Edgware Road is not what it appears to be. It's not only the eerie atmosphere of the vast, neglected house or the disturbing attitude of her new landlord, Knacker McGuire, that makes her uneasy. It's the whispers behind the fireplace, the scratching beneath floors, the footsteps in the dark, and the young women weeping in neighboring rooms. And when Knacker's cousin, Fergal, arrives, the danger goes vertical. But this is merely a beginning, a gateway to horrors beyond Stephanie's worst, beyond Stephanie's worst nightmares. And in a house where no one listens to the screams, will she ever get out alive? Ooh. It does seem to be a little like Walkers, which we've already read, um, Family Plot as well. So it's it's once again very very house centric. It's something sinister going on behind the scenes. Um, Neville is was always really good at setting an atmosphere. In, in House of Small Shadows, the atmosphere he sets down was just overwhelming at times. He's really good at painting a picture. He's really good at setting the the tension to the right level. Um, I believe the only I I believe I had some issues with like his dialogue and maybe a little bit of his pacing, but this one is a more recent book. So I'm hoping maybe we'll see it a little bit better in this one. But either way, this the premise seems intriguing, and I am cannot wait to start this book. Nice. So I think this one's been out, I think, long enough that it should be, like, fairly accessible. I think you said there's an audiobook. There is an audiobook, um, and there you can get it in a Kindle store. It's not in Kindle Unlimited, but um, it is up on Kindle for regular price of a Kindle book. Actually, I think my library has this book. Yeah, I would be very surprised if it wasn't in libraries. Yeah. Um, this is the Adam Neville book that's always actually on the shelf at Indigo when I go there. <laughs> so, I'm, like I said, I'm assuming it is fairly accessible. Mm-hmm. 
So we hope you'll all join us next month. I will get on the Goodreads group and break it up by chapters so people can add their thoughts when they finish a certain chapter. And I love reading those. I, I read all of the comments when you post. I get notifications and I like immediately go and see what everyone thought. But yeah, so definitely check out the Goodreads group. That's where all of the discussion is going to be happening. And then at the end of the month, I think probably the last Sunday of the month, we do a YouTube live show for $3 and up Patreon supporters. Yes. So it's it's a good time. We get together and then we have a live chat that we can all just basically sit around and, and discuss the book in its entirety completely spoilery no holds barred um what we like what we didn't like um and arguing with what was good and what was bad (laughs) so definitely join us next month for the books in the freezer book club um and if you post about it on twitter or instagram definitely use hashtag bitf book club Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at Books in the Freezer.com. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's with two A's in YouTube as just That's What She Read, spelled the normal way. And I'm Devin. You can find me on Twitter at Insomni Reads. And also over on Twitch streaming horror game um, at Indie Insomniac. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 